Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Brand and Beyond podcast. Your host, Chris, as always, joined, as always, by my co-host, Peace. Today, have such a special episode for you all out there. We have someone who is extremely accomplished in the people space, has spent so much time at incredible, incredible companies such as GE, Compass, and now she is the chief people officer at Dashlane, the one and only Sierra Lacani. Sierra, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. How are you today? Thanks for having me, Chris and Peace. I'm I'm good. I'm a little bit jet lagged. I returned to France from New York this Sunday. So if anything that I say isn't clear, um, feel free to ask me again. And uh, hopefully I'll, I'll get more awake, I think, as our conversation goes on. Hopefully, hopefully we can we can uh, incite this sort of conversation to get you up right now. So to start, please give us a little intro about yourself and a little bit more about what you guys do at Dashlane. Yeah, so as you said, I have been doing HR for a long time, actually 20 years uh, full time um, since finishing university or college and have been fortunate to be at a mix of both startups and large international companies. And so that's given me a perspective on like, what are the different ways that I do the same type of job at all different size and stages of scale? And one of the things that people often say to me is, uh, are you a small company person or a big company person? And I say, for me personally, I like them equally. There's just different things I vent about over a glass of wine and different things I love. So those things are very different. But on balance, it, it feels the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so here at Dashlane, where I was the first head of the people function uh, when I joined about six years ago, we are a people-focused password manager supporting both businesses and individuals, um, and we believe we're the most secure and easy-to-use solution out there. Um, so instead of being tied to something on your ecosystem like Apple Keychain or Google, on any of your devices, you can uh, pull up passwords with Dashlane. And I actually was a customer before I joined, so really personally believe in the product. And it's been really fun for me, uh, pretty far into my career, to finally work for a company where I was personally passionate about the company even before I joined. So that's been a really cool experience. Uh, no, definitely. And Dashlane has been seeing immense success in you know the past couple of years that you've been there. Uh, so kind of where we want to start right now, Sierra, is... We saw you had a couple jobs open, for, looking for engineers, so on and so forth. But I'm interested in working at Dashlane. I'm in sales, marketing, engineering, etc. Why should I want to work at Dashlane? What's your pitch to someone who's interested? What can you say about Dashlane to, to make me be like, oh, that's the place for me? Uh, well, um, I'm sure that my talent acquisition team, if they listen to this, will be like, wow, we would do a better job with that pitch than <laughs> because we do it every day with candidates on the phone and LinkedIn. And I do it almost never because if I'm interviewing people, they've usually already talked to someone. But kind of a non-prepared pitch in my own words and what keeps me at Dashlane is I think it's really um, very international company where we're kind of more in Europe than in the US, but pretty much like 60-40 split. Um, and we have offices in Lisbon, in Paris, and in New York. And we have many people working for the company because we work in English that are from all over the world. So even in the past, when I worked for GE, which was a very international experience, it was more of a U.S.-led culture. And here at Dashlane, you really feel the different cultures that people come from. And that's been an immense learning experience. So just the ability to work with bright, dedicated people who come from such diverse backgrounds 
I think is something that's that's pretty unique and what attracts and keeps a lot of the people here. Um, and the the work of password management and cybersecurity in general is something that's not easy, not always well understood. Um, but once you get into being interested in it, um, it's something that's really intellectually challenging and never gets boring. So you mentioned you're an international company. How do you manage that? We're seeing some of your team members are in New York, Lisbon, Paris. How do you manage just managing multiple time zones as well as how do you manage your culture, right? And sustaining that culture when you're onboarding different people. Yeah, such a big topic. So most of that is in a Dashlane's Guide to Hybrid Work, which you can Google or find on my LinkedIn, where we talk about some of our approaches to that. In general, regarding the culture, um, this is maybe something that is different from what a lot of people are going to tell you they think culture is. But I believe culture is organic and every single person that's working with us in the company is contributing to that culture. It's not something that can be completely manufactured or completely dictated by any one direction in the company. Of course, there are people who have outsized influence on culture with the things they do um, and how they interact with others. So what we try to do from a leadership perspective is mostly think about what are the behaviors that are in line with our company values? How do we make sure that we're educating people on those, reinforcing those both through positive and negative reinforcements, and helping that to evolve as the company evolves as well? You've dealt with four CEOs. Even what does that look like? Managing different culture with different CEOs. You know, every, when management comes in, I'm assuming that they have their own vision of what culture looks like moving forward. How do you manage that and how do you relay that information to the team under you? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I guess the the short kind of oversimplified perspective is first, I think it's really interesting both for myself and others in the company because you find out that you are the same person in the same company, but when you're co-creating something with different people, um, you have to open your mind and also act differently, always within your own personal ethical boundaries and within the values of the company. But there's not only one way to do things within your values. And that's something that my team and I have really learned having four different CEOs. Um, so in all the cases, it was a bit individual. How did we do that? But in all the cases, we've been fortunate that each CEO wanted to understand Using data-based insights, we use CultureAmp. What is the culture today? What is the feedback that people are giving? What are our business goals? Where are our gaps where we're falling short, where we think that we could um, give positive reinforcement to different behaviors? Um, and how do we you know, reinforce that um, and push that through our, our leaders, et cetera? Is it difficult getting your team members on the same page as you? So, you know, let's say... CEO A comes in, he has X, Y, Z experience. This is his perception on culture, but you've already been here, right? And you're probably informing him of what typically goes on. You're maybe helping that transition move forward. What's, is there any issues relaying information between you and the CEO and then down to uh, the, the individuals under you? And what does that process look like doing it over and over and over again? Yeah, I mean, my perspective is that's always a challenge in every setting. I think everybody has their own vision of reality. And it's those moments of connection where we feel that we and somebody else like both see something the same way that feel really exciting, that cement friendships, that cement innovation, etc. But in reality, do you know that you and another person are seeing something exactly the same way? You don't. Um, and probably you're not. 
So that's always the case. You know, we our first CEO, he was French, but living in the US. And so he would have pushback on things both from French people, American people, people in Portugal. And as I said, we have people from many other countries as well. Um, and then after that, we had um, the former CMO of Spotify, who's actually on our board, who served as an interim CEO, and he wound up moving to France. Um, so now he does uh, understand both cultures as well. And then after that, we had two CEOs coming from the U.S. Uh, so one of the ways that we've used AI in HR trying to make early starts is asking ChatGPT, uh, what should leaders know about working with people in France? And it's interesting because even if you get those answers about France and about Portugal, there were some things with which people didn't agree um, so you always have different perspectives, and I don't think there's a way to completely solve for that. But what we try to do is listen and understand as much as possible, explain things, and try to help people to understand each other's perspectives. Beyond just the culture within Dashlane, clearly there's a cultural difference with someone living in France, someone living in Portugal, someone living in the United States. Have you seen any friction between individuals having to work together, being that they're coming from an environment that may not be like their counterpart? This is a question that we get a lot. And it's one of those things that it's you, you can be colored by your own lens, what you think is happening. But I can tell you that when we hear about conflict, which my team hears about conflict a lot, either from people directly or when we're coaching their managers to know how's it going with people on their team, um, we hear about conflicts and sometimes, although not majority of the time, we hear this person doesn't understand that because they're of this nationality or this person is creating drama because they're American. That's a popular one. Uh, but when we look at why we believe those conflicts started, I think usually conflicts are starting for reasons that are pretty universal and are not based uh, on one particular culture versus the other. Um, so it, it does also help as I said, that everyone who's joining here generally is signing up to know that they're working in a pretty international environment. And so people tend to be um, more open-minded, but still people have stereotypes, people have gaps in knowledge and cultural misunderstandings. Of course, it happens. Dive into that a little bit. What tendencies have you seen, speaking on the stereotypes you, you typically see when people inter and interact with others that may not come from the same environment as them? Have you seen that people find out it's maybe not a good fit for them, understanding that, hey, I'm not used to a certain environment, maybe I should look elsewhere? I've not ever seen that at Dashlane. I've seen and heard things like that from people I know who might work at other companies, such as if an American living here goes to work for a French company and now feels that they are expected to act in a way that's very different from what they've been exposed to. So I think when you have a culture that doesn't have a lot of diversity, of course, it's going to be harder for people who are not used to those modes of operating and understanding things. Um, so for us, because there is that diversity of thought and background, it hasn't been as much of an issue. But again, the same way that even people all from the same culture will have tensions and misunderstandings and blame it on one stereotype or another, it does happen. But there's not like one big work thing I can think of that comes up. I mean, I can tell you what the popular stereotypes are that I hear, but I don't think that we see that in reality in our company. Gotcha. Tuning back into the first question Chris asked about how do you sell Dashlane? How do you sell the cultural aspect of Dashlane to incoming candidates or prospective candidates? 
are there certain scenarios, examples, stories, individuals that you like to bring along uh, the hiring process to help relay what it's like to work there? We don't usually curate it that tightly if we were embarking on a project of doing, you know, sales hiring at scale, for example, all in one country. That's something, of course, that we could consider. I mean, I believe similar to um, what your company is trying to do, Peace, there's a, a company in France called Welcome to the Jungle that does profiles and photos and tells people stories. So people like that available to discover. And we also have some of that on our own website that is uh, hosted on Squarespace and built by our uh, senior director of HR and country leader in Portugal and one of her former interns, because our marketing team has a lot to do. Employer branding is not something they were able to prioritize. And so we said, well, we need some sort of careers website. So uh, we're going to do it ourselves and give you a link. Uh, So that's what we did. And I think that people like having that information available, but it might not feel very authentic to proactively pitch it. But I know that there are different ways of looking at that. No, for sure. So Sarah, something I want to circle back to is you mentioned um, briefly, you know, you guys started using uh, ChatGPT. AI is obviously an extremely hot topic right now. There's pretty much no way to avoid it when you open up Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. Also, you shared an article on your LinkedIn a couple of days ago from the Harvard Business Review, Three Steps to Prepare Your Culture for AI. Obviously, you're thinking about AI. You just mentioned you're using it. How do you think AI is going to impact the people space? And how do you feel like going forward? You know, what are some things that what are some ways AI can benefit you and what you're doing that maybe some people aren't thinking of? And what are like obvious ways AI can help your workflow and whatever else you may be doing? Yeah, well, they say even experts are generally not good at predicting the future, and I am by no means an AI expert. But what I think is really important is to remain open-minded and experimental and get in there and start using it. Uh, The main thing that we need to tell our company across the company, which our general counsel um, reminds us of, and people know he's not just doing legalese because he plays in bands with other people from the company, um, and he's... Uh, really well liked, but do not put confidential information in, you know, ChatGPT, BARD, or any other AI systems. That's something that's not necessarily intuitive to everyone. And so that's something that's a risk. And it's a pretty big discussion in the uh, HR people, peer communities as well. How do we stop people from putting our proprietary information or copying our code into ChatGPT? Um, so that's that's certainly something that's hard. Um, In the people space, it's a bit easier. And the goal is to save time. So you're still producing final output by humans. Um, But if you go into chat GPT and you say, we're a B2B SaaS company, we're seeking to hire a VP of engineering, give me a job posting. The first draft that it comes up with looks very professional, a bit generic, and you want to tweak it. But for a lot of people, that's so much faster than like staring at a blank page and being like, what do I want to write to? Higher VP of engineering. So HR, the people space is known probably to be the most, I guess, humane department, right? It's all about connection. It's all about employee experience. Is there anything about AI that worries you that that element of HR and people may be stripped away? It's a really good question. And I think in some larger companies, we're only 322 people. So we're, we're less, I think, affected by this in the short term. You have a lot of um, 
making sure that you don't have too much headcount in HR by just answering people's random questions. So content discovery of policies and resources that already exist is something that's likely going to be handled by AI pretty quickly. Um, today, many of those large companies have already tried to handle that by having help centers or um, other systems. So you already have a bit of depersonalization in our company because we're small and the volume is relatively doable and we want to stay in touch with people. We purposely don't have a, a email address where you can reach out to the whole team or an inbox. It's just like, hey, you know who we are. We remind you who we are for those who are working fully remote, et cetera, and may not see us all the time. Uh, reach out to an individual. If it's not the right individual, we help you find the right individual. Um, but at scale, I think AI is going to help people surface information. And I know that certainly in the customer support space and in the engineering space, there are some people who are excited about the possibilities and there are other people who are concerned that it will cause a big loss of, of jobs to be able to answer questions this way. Do you think AI could have any contribution to almost scaling and showcasing your culture? How do you picture AI providing support to Dashlane or any people ops uh, department in terms of initiating people to the culture, making it widely accessible to where maybe you don't necessarily have to be so involved with everyone internally where AI can almost provide you with the resources you need to know about what it's like to work within a company? Yeah, I think there's probably certainly ways to do that for Dashlane or a small company like us. Is it immediately obvious? No, because it's only whatever is out there, right, is what's going to be pulled up. And so, for instance, ChatGPT as of today is pulling from the fall of 2021. And if you crawl even a large company from the fall of 2021, there's a lot of things that companies have gone through since then where they may have changed their stance on hybrid work. They may have had layoffs. Uh, they may have re totally reorganized their teams. Many companies in tech have done all three of those things since then. So it wouldn't be uh, accurate, timely information, even though I think it's good that ChatGPT reminds you of what its knowledge base was updated. Um, that's something that will have to be addressed in the future. But in general, a company is going to need enough accurate information out there on it uh, for the model to provide input that makes sense. And of course, I'm sure, you know, you and some of your listeners have read about when there's gaps in knowledge, the way that some AI models will fill in those gaps to have a coherent narrative is to bring up information that just does not exist at all yeah. and is not true. And there's currently in ChatGPT no way to see when that's happening. So the reader might not know. Are you typically using ChatGPT often? Are you preparing yourself to almost utilize it full time? Your responses seem pretty on point in terms of you know, oh. how and when we can implement you know, AI and automation. No, I'm certainly not an expert, but I do think it's important for all business leaders to stay on top of and understand. Personally, I try to push myself to think of use cases when I can ask ChatGPT a question um, because I'm I'm also not used to doing that as a way of, of working, right? So... I, I even see with some members of my team who the time when they started, there was a lot more available just via a Google search that would answer regarding state law compliance, et cetera, things that I was used to at the beginning of my career proactively studying for, committing to memory. So it's also changing the way that you you work and you need to immerse yourself to be able to do that. But as of today, for me to do a chief people officer job, again, it does give a good start to things, make things easier, surface interesting information. Uh, but usually whatever I get back, I wind up rewriting it myself. 
Um, but I think for those people who don't have as much practice writing things or who hit writer's block, right, that can be really helpful. Stepping away from AI and getting back to what you were talking about earlier about culture. What me and Chris have learned is like a lot of companies, a lot of chief people officers, and in some instances, a lot of CMOs see employer branding as almost like a cousin to culture, right? Managing what their brand is like, whether it be through their people, through their product, through their service, just through you know, storytelling and narrative. What impact or what relationship do you see between employer branding and culture relevant to your past experiences? Well, I think your employer brand and your company's brand is an important input into culture. So I said culture is affected by everyone that's working at the company, also by their preconceived notions. And if people heard about a company, read about it on the news, saw an advertisement and had a certain impression of the brand of the company, all of that is then going to actually wind up becoming part of the culture in some sort of way. So I think because of that, how companies approach employer brand is super important because it's going to have hopefully a positive flywheel effect with your culture, but it can also be the other way around. And employers increasingly need to do something to, if, if you don't have discoverable information on your company, other than glass door reviews or blind reviews, then you're only going to see input written by people who generally were uh, mad. So they decided to go vent or very happy and working at a company that does the popular thing of, hey, we just promoted you. Would you like to write us a nice glass door review? And like those inputs are on two opposite ends of the spectrum. And neither probably gives you impression of what it's going to feel for you in your first year actually working there. So I think it is important to have other sources of input. And I think it's also important to have a, an interview process that is um, exposing people to some of the feel of what it would be like to work at a company. Absolutely. I think you touched on a really interesting point because especially now with the younger generation, Gen Z millennials, they really do care about what's happening internally, right? And those third-party review platforms having anonymous responses and feedback as to what's happening about a company doesn't serve much use to them. With that being said, how can companies go about providing authentic information, right? That people want to learn about a company, whether it be about their culture, maybe about a particular department, have you seen any unique strategies that companies are utilizing to broadcast what they're doing more so so they can appeal to the audience and their customers? Yeah, I haven't been personally um, looking into that myself very deeply. So I'm sure there are innovative approaches out there, but I haven't been following all of them. I think it's just trying to surface uh, relatable content and to make sure that that's covering different areas that might not be well covered. So you see that a lot of larger companies now have efforts to do employer branding for people who identify as neurodiverse, right? And other groups of people. And how do you do that? And some of the things that we found helpful is just when we find people to talk and you can do a recording of them, you can then use snippets from uh, in writing, et cetera, but asking them some questions, letting them answer, answer authentically in their own words. What do they think about the culture? Why do they like? What do they do there? Why are they there? Um, and if people see enough of this content, they kind of um, build a, a sense. Yeah, completely agree. Um, that content is also super popular. I feel like people love to see this, especially, you know, potential candidates looking uh, on the outside looking in there. It's almost like people are obsessed with it nowadays, I feel like. Um Sort of transitioning. So obviously, 20 plus years in the people space. Um, 
very very deep background um and obviously you've gained so much knowledge is there anyone you see right now any companies or leaders in the people space that you're admiring and do like a really great job cultivating and creating you know culture that empowers their employees and you know a company or a person you're like wow i really love what they're doing yeah i i think what hubspot does has consistently been really forward thinking culture friendly and also business focused so a lot of props to katie and I was very fortunate because my third CEO um, was the COO of HubSpot who actually hired Katie. Um, and luckily, a oh, lot wow. of time when I come to him with ideas, I would be quite aligned. And I would be like, I swear, I didn't just Google what HubSpot does. This is why I also believe this this works for Dashlane and, and why. But from a U.S. perspective, that's certainly who I would call out. I mentioned earlier about how Gen Z millennials are typically looking for a certain part of a company in order for them to proceed with, you know, filling up an uh, application. Throughout your years right in the people space, how have you noticed the demand of what happens at a company change from baby boomers to current day millennials and Gen Z professionals? The demands of what happens at the company? Can you explain more what you mean by that? From our experience, we've heard individuals speak on, hey, baby boomers, they weren't so concerned about culture, right? They weren't so concerned about diversity or impact beyond just what they do day to day, where now Gen Z millennial, that's all they care about, sometimes more so than money, right? So can you speak on what you've seen as different generations are entering the workforce and now that Gen Z and the millennials are going to be the dominant uh, workforce population by decade's end, what do you what do you propose based on your learnings? Yeah, I I think you basically highlighted the main point that, you know, studies and focus groups have shown repeatedly is the most important for those generations, which is like they want to know um, where the company stands on diversity, on ecology, on just being a, a corporate citizen in general and what the culture of the company will be like. And that is very different even from when I started my career. So it's something that I understand well because the majority of people that we're hiring at Dashlane are more in that demographic than how I would personally um, have approached uh, looking for a job at their age. Uh, so the thing, though, that I think is important is there are a lot of companies that are realizing this is what people want and we need to hire people. And then they're telling them what they want to hear. But you have to make sure that you're telling people something that actually reflects the reality of working in the company. If you are wanting to tell people we care so much about the environment here and diversity, but then inside the company, when people say, why did you not comment on this you know, tragic event that happens that touches on diversity, equity and inclusion? Um, and you say, why are people wasting all this time wanting us to do this and we don't want to do this? Like, well, then why did you advertise for people who are going to want that? So I think it does require executive teams and other stakeholders to think about, OK, we can understand what people want, but we need to do an exercise to see how that aligns with our values and to present ourselves authentically. Um, because if a T-shirt company wants to say, like, our T-shirt uh, presents all the features that you want and then it really doesn't okay, well, the sale is over and that's done after a customer gets it. And I know that's oversimplified because you want repeat customers and et cetera. But it's it's a lot more important than that in an employment relationship. You are entering into an interactive relationship with a person. So if you misrepresent your culture, that relationship is not going to go well. And that's not going to be good for, for, for either side or for the business results either. So I do think that there is sometimes a, a disconnect in some of that from certain companies. Absolutely. One thing Chris and I have seen is 
prospective candidates, passive or active, community is a big part of decision making. Whether it's learning about a company, whether it's about maybe getting an intro to a company, what does the community look like at the executive and leadership level for individuals like yourself, right? Navigating the people space, staying up to date with things like AI and what's happening culturally and what, what is acceptable now with new generations coming. What does community look like for you? Yeah, I think community can look different for each person. Um, but for me, over the past decade, being you know head of people at a VC-backed tech company, we actually have a pretty strong community, uh, which is good because especially when you start in this job, it's often like only you or one or two other people. You're reporting into someone who doesn't quite understand your profession. Your peers don't quite understand your profession. So it's also nice to have people that you can bounce things off of um, that are in other companies. You can learn more when you apply lessons from other companies as well as within your own company. So I think there's there's different Slack communities that I'm part of. A big shout out to um, Large Schmidt's Amplify community, which I think is really progressive and pretty global uh, for an English speaking community. Um, there's another out of London. Uh, my French is almost good enough to do it on my own here in France, but the woman on my team who handles that well is kind of used to doing that. So uh, we leave that alone. I'm a member of People Tech Partners in the U.S. as well, which is not only a peer community, but we're advising early stage founders on how they can um, get input on their sales pitches and growing their business in general. So, yeah, I would say I'm pretty active in the community. I think that's really important, especially with the pace of change that's been happening in companies. So you're dealing with the day to day of Dashlane, you're dealing with your external community. What do you love the most about your job, whether it be simply the position you're in, the company you're working with, what makes every day in the people space worthwhile to you? I don't know if there's only one thing, but I, I really like the dopamine hit of like helping people or finding people an answer or, you know, sometimes like my team is the team where we've read all the things going on in the company. We're talking to all the departments and sometimes people are like, I'm having this problem. I don't know who could solve it. And it's really easy for us to tell them. Um, and I, I think I also really love in the people space that I'm always learning something new and I can contribute my skills in different industries and different settings and different countries with different people from different backgrounds. Um, and finally, I, I do like helping people understand each other's viewpoints because often people will be in a space of frustration with someone who doesn't think like them. And if you can help lend perspective where people move out of that space of frustration and into becoming more open-minded themselves, I think that has a positive impact personally, professionally, and on our society. So it's it's rewarding for me to be a part of that. Yeah, I love that. Um, and that seems extremely fulfilling and which is just so important. Uh, Sierra, our last question for you. So obviously you take a look at your resume, take a look at everything you've done. You're extremely accomplished in your industry and in your space. Um, anyone who's looking to not only break into the people's space, but reach the highest levels of it, you know, would, in my opinion, would look up to someone like you. So what advice would you have for someone looking to break into people's space? Say, I want to be a people leader, chief people officer, VP of people and culture, et cetera. What advice would you have for a person like that? I think in the beginning, it's kind of persistence and resilience, because similar to when I was trying to break in 21 years ago, you see a lot of job postings that say that you need two years of experience in people or HR. And so the question is always like, how the heck do people get this first two years of experience if there's there's nothing to give it to them? And I think it's hard for people who didn't go to a university that had an HR program that a lot of companies 
hire out of to sometimes break in, um, whether you're early in career, whether you're trying to career switch. So because a lot of people enter this field through coincidences. Um, but I was actually someone from a state school in New York that didn't have an HR program. I had an internship offer in the middle of nowhere, so I didn't take it. And I had to start by taking temp jobs. And then I temped as a recruiting coordinator. I volunteered to help people with their HR work when I saw they weren't meeting their deadlines and finishing things. And they were like, well, you don't know how to do it. And I was like, well, you don't turn it in anyways. <laughs> Let me try and just give it to you. So it was kind of like doing whatever you can to get involved. Or I see a lot of people, hey, I want to get into the tech space. Well, volunteer with early stage startups, volunteer your time. So just figure out whatever you can do to get closer to getting that experience. Um, and then one day you can break through. And once you're in the people space, if you're dedicated to doing a good job, there are a lot of people that leave the space or don't stay. Um, and so once you're in there, if you're doing what you need to do, the rest goes much easier in terms of having options than it is to enter. So it's just if somebody wants to enter, it's just having that that resilience and that persistence in the beginning. Well, we love that. And obviously that resilience has paid off for you, as I just mentioned the resume your resume before. Uh, but Sierra, again, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Where can the people find you? LinkedIn and find also more about Ashley. Um, I'm most active on LinkedIn. Um, mm -hmm. you can see our, our Dashlane career site that I mentioned before on Dashlane.com. And we're, we're always going through renovation cycles and employer branding stuff because we keep moving office floors, et cetera. So, uh, watch the space over time. It's not great today. So it's certainly not a masterclass if you Google Dashlane today on how to do employer branding. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we have a lot of things that, that we're uh, thinking about and a lot of things we've tried in the past as well. All right. Well, again, go connect with Sierra on LinkedIn if you'd like to learn more and connect with her. Go check out Dashlane um, going crazy and they're only going to continue to keep growing. Sierra, again, thank you so much for coming on. Very much appreciated. To everyone listening to the Brandon Beyond podcast, thank you. And until next time.